Lord, reveal yourself to us this morning, Lord. We know that your word is life, your word is spirit. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word penetrates our souls. We pray that today we will meet you in your word at the foot of the cross where the mighty word of God was made sin for us who died, who rose again, who rose victorious. Lord, that we might plant ourselves into this word, into this root that we would be set free. We would rise above a sinful world. We would rise above our own circumstances. And we will be truly liberated, free in the spirit, to love you, to worship you, to love others as we love ourselves. So thank you, God. We take this by faith, Lord. By faith that you will hear our prayer because it is offered in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are at BCM 4A. Okay, it's BCM, Building Christ-like Maturity, a discipleship series that we started two years ago in PPH. 4 means it's the fourth uh, installment. <coughs> A means it's the first part of the fourth installment. Okay, I'm done with that. One cell group leader actually sent this to me. Uh, root beer and chicken wings. Okay? And that's how they started this series of Bible studies called Roots and Wings. <clears throat> Twice in the Bible, it talks about taking roots below and bearing fruit above. You'll find that in 2 Kings 19.30, also in Isaiah 37.31. It's about being a disciple, a follower anchored in God. It's about hope in God. It's about being given divine strength, about soaring on wings like eagles, about not growing weary in doing good, in loving, in serving, and about not fainting or falling or stumbling. And don't we all want to be good disciples of Jesus Christ? Don't you want to feed well, to grow strong and healthy as Christians? Now, about being fed, I get this constant stream of suggestions and sometimes even demands for sermon topics. Pastor, you must preach about this. Pastor, you must teach about that, about giving, about tithing. And some will say, every year must have at least two sermons about tithing, uh, about family, family life, parenting, marriage, boy-girl relationship, missions, Old Testament, New Testament, challenge to evangelism, uh, uh, preach against false doctrines, and lately I got one. You've got to teach about respect, that respect is not earned. You know, I, I never dismiss any suggestions, okay? I hear them all. And then I bring it to my elders and we discuss them. Because very, very often, the Lord speaks through you and you tell me and something... Uh, 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 you know, something just gels, and especially among the elders. Yeah, I think this is right. We need to go there. So we do that. Then I also hear, thankfully not very often, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. Feed me, feed me. And there is this, uh, I think it's a, a, a rock 
musical or something, right? The little shop of horrors where this, this big plant, feed me, feed me. When I hear that, I also I, I consult other pastors. And there was this one pastor who told a member, who, who asked him, so, oh, you've got to feed me, I'm not being fed. And so this pastor said, hmm, let me take a look here. I think I see the problem. You're only eating on Sundays. You're only eating on Sundays. That's why you're always so hungry. Or not fed. And, and that's what many pastors uh, have, have found. That by and large, the ordinary church member only opens the Bible on Sundays and only hears a sermon on Sundays and only prays on Sundays. But we have a lot of programs. Every church has a lot of programs. But members don't know how, don't want to, can't be bothered to, not taught to feed themselves. That seems to be the problem. We too here in PPH, we have many problems, uh, not problems, programs. We have many programs and principles and Bible study models to help disciples grow in maturity. Well, let me start from the basics. We start with the greatest commandment and the great commission. We know that, right? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then to love heart, soul and mind and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission, we know, go into all the world, make disciples of, na- of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. So there is a reason for these uh, uh, psychedelic colors here, because out of these two, we derive the PPH purpose statement, and that is to bring people to Jesus and then the five M's, right? To membership in His church, develop them to Christ-like maturity, Equip them for ministry in the church and missions in the world in order to magnify or to glorify or to worship God. That is our purpose statement. looks very long, but once you catch the five M's, you can remember it easily. And to help us do that, we have a model. And you can see that our, our, each one of the colors of the five is based on Scripture, so we can't go wrong. And to help us accomplish this, we have a model our model is uh, M1 to, to M4, a very comprehensive model. So when somebody comes to Jesus and prays and says, Yes, Lord, I want to follow you, make you my Lord, please forgive my sins, we bring them through M1, right? Discovering Church Membership. This is the guide that we use for baptism classes, actually. Okay, so we have M1, membership. And then uh, we got to work out... Uh, a program for, for, for growing in maturity. So this is M2 maturity. It teaches you uh, Bible study, teaches you to pray, uh, teaches you to join a, a group and to have fellowship with, with one another, teaches you to serve. And then how to serve? M3, we have discovering church ministry and it's got all kinds of tools inside there to determine your shape. You know, what are your spiritual gifts? What are you passionate about? What are your abilities? Uh, and, and, and all these things, your personality types, what are you well suited for? So it helps you to serve. And then we have M4, which is about mission. And I, I think one part of the M4 is uh, uh, to go join a mission trip. And then you find out you know, what it is like to, to love people, cross culture, and uh, uh, to, to, to preach the gospel. So we have this fantastic model, M1 to M4. And it's not just classes 
and, and lectures. It is to be worked out in a, a small group. So we encourage, encourage, encourage our people to join small groups. Um, you have to, you know. I think some of you here, now I counted only like 56% of uh, our English congregation is in small groups. So that leaves uh, a way big 40-odd percent not in, uh, in cell groups. So you've got to join. You know why? Because you think that you're very loving and you're very kind and all that uh, until you join a small group. Then you find that you rub with one another and you know what it means to love somebody who is not so lovable, what it means to serve somebody, or what it means to lead somebody, and then you find that it's not so easy. Well, two years ago, we embarked on this series called Building Christ-like Maturity, BCM. And the theme was on Christ-likeness. You remember the theme verse, which you are supposed to have memorized two years ago, okay? Galatians 4.9, until Christ is formed in you. Until Jesus Christ is formed in you. So nice, so perfect. Uh, and the first one is about correctly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 where we went through, if you remember, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Revelation, uh, uh, apocalyptic uh, literature, Proverbs, wisdom literature, and all that, just to get a, 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 a firm grasp on the totality of the Bible, the full counsel of God. And then we went on to BCM 2, the second module, which was emotionally healthy spirituality. That the Word of God has got to touch the deeper part of us, our spirit and our emotion. Right? You cannot say, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and then you find that I, I simply refuse to forgive this person. I will hold it till the day I die. So those are the kind of issues that, that we addressed. That there are emotional leakages uh, out of us with hang anger and hurt and bitterness and all that. And then we had BMW, which was Be My Witnesses. I give many tools, encouragement, put three names now, pray through, uh, through those three names and share the gospel, do an act of kindness, those kind of stuff. Um, so what we can do, which we haven't done yet, is that we have recorded all this stuff. We can put it together in a box, DVD, uh, a set, and with notes and, and all that. So they, we can reuse this, you know, in case you forgot what it's all about. We can do that. Uh, you ask, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get it done for your cell group or whatever. Now we come to BCM4, Roots and Wings. And... This is what I call a self-feeding model. All right? This BCM4, some of you, many of you have, have, have bought this guidebook, $10. Okay? Actually, it's $10.40, but we just rounded it up. Uh, it's from Covenant EFC, a church, uh, a Singapore church, that we uh, uh, take this from and, 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 and use it. And I thought the whole thing uh, is so fantastic, right? From the Word of God to the inner life to being witnesses and not that, you know, aggressive evangelism, just loving people into the kingdom. And now, and now a model to teach us how to feed ourselves. We'll be perfect already. We should be perfect Christians. We, we can we just, just get out into the world and, yeah, make disciples. And if you look at Roots and Wings, BCM4 is even better. It's a fantastic model. It's got, you know, three axes, huh? X, Y, Z. First, it's, it's got an eight-fold curriculum. I'll talk to you more about that later. And in each one of these eight pieces of curriculum, you work on it for five days. So there's a five-day framework. And every day, you ask yourself four questions. It's a four-question format. So it's like, wow, 
the guy who thought this out, I think his brain is so big. You know, I cannot get more than two by two. So this is eight by five by four, and it encapsulates uh, discipleship. So what is this eightfold curriculum? Asks a lot of questions, very fundamental questions, like who is God, and that is biblical theology. Who is my master? Where is my allegiance? Uh, who am I? Biblical identity. What am I called to do? Biblical purpose. What is the ultimate importance of my life? Values. What are the things I must put first? Priorities. How can I be empowered, empowering? What should I anchor my life upon? What is my biblical foundation? So this is the eightfold curriculum. And for each one of these, you work on it for five days. Okay? So you can't see very well here. It's in the book. Day one, you look at what is our human weakness? What are the common tendencies of uh, human beings? And then day two, resulting problem. Day three, a radical reorientation. Day four, what is this critical need? And day five, the empowered life of roots and wings. Okay? And in each one of these studies that you do yourself and later on you discuss as a group, you ask four questions. There's a four-question format. What, why, how? Actually, it's, it's a bit cheating. It's not four questions. It's easier to say four questions. It's three questions leading to an insight. Okay? What, why, how leading to an insight. Okay, let me now give you an example. In, for example, the module uh, number five, it talks about going beyond the self-biblical identity. All right, so on day one, it asks, what is our human weakness? So our human weakness is being preoccupied uh, with self. And so it gets into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And, and Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is a fantastic passage. You know, in that nine verse, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 11, I counted 32, I, me, myself. This is King Solomon. So me, myself, I, I, I. 32 times in nine verses. And this is what gives man his identity, you know. His, him what I take pride in, uh, my selfish nature. And then the question is, why? Why does he think that way? It is because of sin that we have this tendency, this natural thing um, in, in us that, that we must look at self first. Okay? Next question is, how, how do you break out of it? And what is this insight that you get? The insight is that you need to refocus constantly, to know full well that we have this sinful tendency always to look at ourselves. And this is our sinful, carnal nature. We need to depend on Christ. So that's one day of Bible study. Probably 20, 30 minutes. Okay, second day, you look at um, the resulting problem. What is the problem? The problem is that we love the world. Because, uh, and, and we read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The cravings of sinful men the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. What is the problem? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Why is it so bad? Because these are useless things. These are temporary. It's not, these are not eternal. How to overcome it? We need to remold our world from loving the world to loving God. What is the insight? The insight, there are eternal riches and rewards and fulfillment in loving God. Day two. Day three, talks about a radical reorientation and the Bible passage that is chosen is 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 to 10. Chosen to be partakers that we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Day 4, the critical need, 
need is for a new identity that we participate in the divine nature. We participate in the God nature and therefore escape the corruption of the world. Second Peter, uh, what is it? I got the verses wrong. Huh? It's, it should be Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 onwards. And then day 5 is the empowered life of roots and wings and the passage chosen there is Luke chapter 7 that talks about faith. Jesus said, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So that's the model. Okay, five days worth. And what is the desired outcome? The desired outcome is spiritual health, spiritual growth, growth as a disciple, life transformed. So this Bible study information contained in this model is supposed to lead to our inner, inner formation, spiritual formation from born into loving the God of the Word. From reading the Bible and thinking and asking ourselves these questions, we encounter an intimacy with God and we do the Word of God. And then we journey together with other disciples in a cell group, discuss the same thing. So we feed ourselves and we help one another. And all this is supposed to lead to Christian growth and maturity, Christ-likeness, roots below, fruits above. Fantastic, excellent model. Why do we have models like this? You say, ah, this is so contrived. I just read the Bible. Ah, you know, I, 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 I'll flip wherever I, I, I end up in the Bible and I'll read it and I'll just pray anytime I like. Because there is a tendency of being very unbalanced. So that's why good Christian leaders come up with this kind of models. And we follow those who are not so smart enough to think up this 8 by 5 by 4 model. Because we don't want to be over John 3.16. You know what I mean? It's like all your life you, you just know John 3.16. Or we don't want to be over Jeremiah 29. It's like, oh, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good. They give you a future and a hope. It's like we only have a narrow sliver of the Christian experience. We want you to be properly M1 to M4. You hate that, right? This is like a cookie-cutter factory machine. We want you to be properly BCM'd, building Christ-like maturity. We want to transform ourselves, this church, into card-carrying, fire-breathing, water-walking, disciple, dis disciplined disciples, ready to go into the world and preach the gospel for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen kind of like this communist guy whose letter I found, who wrote this letter. This guy wrote, was a young communist, I don't know, probably in the 50s or 60s, wrote a letter to his girlfriend to break off the, the engagement because of his devotion to a communist cause. And this letter was given by the girlfriend, or ex-girlfriend, to the pastor, who then sent it to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham shared this with the world. This is communism, okay? This guy wrote, We communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary for us to keep alive. 
we communists do not have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent home or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal lives into, great, into a great movement for humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each one of us, in his small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am in dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, my meat. I work at it in the daytime. I dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to its force, which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, actions, according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I am ready to go before a firing squad. Wow. What kind of commitment is this? And then we look at ourselves, what kind of commitment do we have to Almighty God that we cannot even come to church on time? We know the demise of communism is it's totally misguided. And sadly, for this young man, I don't know where he ended up, probably ended up dead. If he did not, then a very disillusioned old man in this day and age, after we've seen communism, pass on. But you've got to admire the radical passion and dedication of this young man no matter how radically misguided he was. You know, the most repeated phrase of Jesus in the Bible, a long, long time ago, Reverend Norman Wong came here, remember, st stuffed the microphone in my face and asked, right, remember, don't remember. What is the most repeated phrase of Jesus in the Bible? Recently, we had a men's weekend and he did that, so now I know forever for the rest of my life the most repeated phrase that Jesus said in the Bible is 15 times, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let us hear. Luke chapter 14, this amazing words of Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Luke chapter 14 from verse 25. And turning to him, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? 
If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Radical, isn't it? Radical. The root word of radical is root. That's the root of the issue. And as this disciples, we love discipleship. And for us, discipleship is Bible study. So we love to study the Bible. But why all this Bible study and no life change? We can be M1 to M4. We can be BCM1 to BCM4A and 4B. We can be BSF. We can be BMW. We can be pre-step. But we are not radical. Because I think there is something wrong at the root. It doesn't touch the root. It's all over the plant, but it's not at the root. Something is wrong at the root of the cross, where the cross meets, at the foot of the cross. Someone once made this remark to me, and I noted it down. He said that this person attends so many serious and deep Bible studies, but it doesn't show in his life. He's still got the same bitter spirit. Do we have a bitter spirit? There's no impact because there's no root, there's no cross. All those Bible study doesn't come to a head. It just goes to the head. Another one says, Bible studies are at the head knowledge level and she is careful not to let it touch her heart. Hyphen, too painful. Sounds really judgmental, doesn't it? But what if this diagnosis was right? Not for this lady, but for you. Then he said, wow, too painful. Don't let it touch the heart. Don't let it touch the heart. Just let it percolate and circulate at this head level. Bible study. Too painful. But I thought Jesus bore all the pain on the cross. So why didn't this lady bring her pain to the cross? But kept it away. Another one. You can see that I collect all these things. It says, in these last days, we need more serious Bible study. And it was about, about revelation. So that we may be blessed. See, this person has participated in, in, in many Bible studies and lectures about revelation. And they can tell you the ins and outs of the millennium and new heaven and scrolls and bowls and seals. So that we may be blessed. So that we may be blessed. Revelation actually doesn't bless me. No. Revelation scares me. Especially when I think about my non-believing father or non-believing friends, those who are not saved. So, as we begin BCM4A, we know we have a great model. Okay? Many other churches have used this Bible study material. But the question is, does it come to the root? Does it come to the foot of the cross? To a point when, when we study the Bible, when we look through all these verses, it, we hit a crisis of belief. Because if we believe it, we will take it up. We will follow, we will obey. If we don't believe it, we brush it off as just another Bible study. Or, worse still, we pretend to follow and we follow along with all the right religious jargon. 
What did Jesus tell us if we are to be his disciples? He said, go count the cost. Go count the cost. Count the cost to build a tower. Count the cost for BCM. It's more than 10 bucks to buy this book. Read Luke chapter 14 again. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm going to tell you that you can't do it. You simply cannot do it. You will not have enough money. You will not have enough strength. You will not have enough willpower to do the Bible study. You will not have enough discipline. You will not have good enough mentors or pastors. You will not have enough books or Bible studies to do it, to become this disciple that Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 14. Because you need not this Bible study thing, but you need a person. You need to meet this person, Jesus, at the root, at the foot of the cross. He is the one with the resources. You can try and squeeze out whatever ounce of energy that you have. It's not going to work. You know it's not going to work. All through history is not, has not worked. You've got to meet Jesus because He's the one who paid in full. He fulfilled the required attainments, all the KPIs. And then He comes and gives you this yoke that is easy and this burden that is light and He says, come, let's walk together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, Bible study is good, but it's not the Bible study. It's the person behind the Bible study, right? So what if Jesus tells us what, what did Jesus tell us to be his disciples? Yeah, count, count the cross. And then he says, carry the cross. Ever tried carrying your cross? Tell you again, you will fail. You will fail. If you could carry the cross, Jesus did not have to carry his cross. Would not have had to die. If man and all his resources and willpower can earn his own salvation and can build this super disciple, then Jesus may not have died. In the end, it's about a man, a relationship. It's about God. It's about Jesus. All the Bible studies in the world, if it doesn't point us to the man and bring us into that relationship with him, puffs us up. I'm sure you have met many who are so well-versed in the Bible that you, you even detect a sense of arrogance and pride coming through. There can be Bible studies and there can be Bible studies. But why is it that some people can, can after a Bible study, overcome their sinful nature of unforgiveness or bitterness and then others cannot? You can attend BSF and you can attend BSF. You can attend precepts and you can attend precepts. You can enjoy a sermon by Benny Ho and travel to the eastern corner of Singapore to listen to a sermon by Benny Ho. Or you can be properly disciple by Benny Ho's sermon, or M1 or M4 at BCM. Because every time we encounter the Word of God, we are brought before the God of the Word and we have a crisis. If you really, really read the Word of God, you will always be in crisis. What is that crisis? The crisis is the cross. We come before the cross, we've got to make a choice because we are convicted that we are nowhere near this disciple that Luke 14 was talking about. Not anywhere near. We're not even near this communist guy who wrote that fantastic letter. What kind of Christians are we? We have lust of the eyes. We have pornography. We have lust of the flesh. We have covetousness. How to take up this cross? How to fight this fight of the flesh and the spirit? 
Jesus had to fight it too. Who being very nature God, he became man. And he understands man. And he cried out, it is pos- if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Asking God, hey, spare me lah. Spare me. And say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only time in scripture he ever said, my God. Every time else, it was Father, Father. This time around is, my God. He fought for it. He won it. For your sake, for my sake. And so now we can pray, Jesus, please help me. You come to this crisis of faith, you look, read Luke chapter 14 and say, wow, I can't meet it. It's impossible. You say, Jesus, please help me. But actually a fuller prayer is, Jesus, thank you for helping me. Because you come to God, you must approach Him by faith, right? Jesus, I hide behind your righteousness for all the work that you've already done on the cross. You paid for my sin. You sacrificed for me. You, you won the victory for me. I hate my life. I love the life, the one that you gave me with your yoke that is easy and your burden that is light. So this is the discipline of a, a disciple. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 uh, reads this, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And to discipline means to exercise. It's, it's a process, right? It's a discipline of choice. You know, one of the key things in discipline is delayed gratification. Because we've got to choose the difficult now in order to enjoy the delights later. You choose the way of the cross. The Living Bible paraphrases this, this verse, 1 Timothy 4.7. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of, in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. And, and keeping fit is the best analogy. You eat right, you exercise right. The more disciplined we are, the easier it gets once we get into a routine and all that. And I know that many of us here are very disciplined people, especially in exercise and food. And these days, when I invite people home uh, for, for meals and dinners, I cannot assume that when I serve coffee, they will drink the coffee. That's oh, coffee, no good. Right? I cannot assume that even if I serve orange juice, they will drink orange juice. Oh, orange juice, a lot of sodium, a lot of sugar. Or chili crab. Or curry spare ribs that I buy from 99. Oh. And some of us are also very disciplined when it comes to TV, right? Very, very disciplined. We never miss one episode <laughs> of I. We can be disciplined. We can be disciplined if we want to. When it is important to us. Yeah? After all, we are all disciplined. We all get up and work in, in, in the morning. We go to school in the morning. And, and I, I think not many of us are, are late. But why is it for church is so different? Because it's God, therefore it's not important. Why is it for spiritual life and spiritual fitness it's not so important? Why are we not disciplined in counting the cross and in choosing the cross and in carrying the cross? The, the original Greek word for discipline is, is to exercise naked. Discipline is to exercise naked. A bit puzzling, right? But Hebrews 12 uh, verse 1 helps us to explain this. Huh? It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That is the discipline. Lay aside. Lay aside weight and sin. And let us run the race that is set before us. So these are the weights and the sin that distracts us. Okay, sin we can understand, right? We understand what, what sin is. We have Holy Spirit in us, it prompts us, hey, this is sinful, don't do it. But weight, 
Weight is not necessarily sin. It's just not necessary. It's just not necessary. And that's why we've got to cut it out. So we count the calories carefully. We choose carefully. And we choose what we carry through life carefully. Choose the way of the cross. Choose the way not of the carnal flesh. Choose the way of the Spirit, that which makes for eternal fruit of the Spirit. And don't judge others in doing so. You know, I, I, would, I thought once upon a time that it was quite easy to determine what a good disciple is because the fruit of the Spirit is the model for us, right? The ninefold fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. It's simple. Just list down the ninefold fruit and make an assessment. I look at you, I say, you're quite loving, okay, nine upon ten, and then self-control, not there. Simple. But it's not, right? Because who am I to judge, right? I can see, for example that, wow, you're so loving, you're always looking after this uh, sick person, but I cannot see that behind your breath you're muttering, you know, wow, why should I be helping? Why, how come my brothers and my sisters not helping? I can't see that, right? I can see such joy on your face. You're like rapturous, you know, worshipping God. But I cannot see that your heart is broken. I can see, or you can see that I'm like so gentle with the flock, but at home I'm very harsh with my wife. Or you can see that, oh, you're dieting, you're so well, so self-controlled in dieting. But in front of the computer, late at night with pornography, you're out of control. Or you can be very kind to migrant workers and treat them so nicely, but at home you kick the dog, that kind of thing. So, so don't even try, you know, don't even try. Discipleship is about coming to the foot of the cross and making a decision. Time and again, making a decision. The moment the Holy Spirit hits us with something, this is the way of the cross, this is the way of the world. Make a decision. When we read the Bible and it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. This is the way or that is the way. You've got to make a choice. And to pick up that choice, to make that choice, is to take up the cross. Right? You choose that way versus this way. So, so don't just like drift through through life and and um, and go the easiest way, right? Because we are we are looking for an eternal future and eternal fruit. So I don't want to end up today with such a negative uh, thing. I want to share with you the encouragement that I have of being a pastor here, that I can see the growth in the maturity, the Christian maturity of of many people here, the growth in in discipleship, the building of this Christ-like nature in us. Last Sunday, I talked to you about these two young men in, in East Tibor, right? They had to choose, right? They had to choose whether or not to do women's work and uh, be laughed at by all their school friends or go and choose to do womanizing that all their other friends are doing in school. They had to choose. They had to choose between studying the Bible, so boring and all that, or go and play uh, with their friends. They had to choose. Uh, just this week, someone asked me about leading somebody to Christ. A friend's father was very sick. And he said, I want to lead this person to Christ. I said, go for it, go for it. But it was a tough choice because every family member there was not a believer. In fact, I think he told me that uh, the, the, another religion from the siblings, they brought all their 
religious leaders there. And then for some reason, he was able to be in the room with his friend's father and all the other religious leaders were outside. It was a choice. It's a very uncomfortable choice, right? But he chose it. It's the way of the Spirit. Took up that cross. Maybe you think it's a small cross, but for him at that time, difficult cross. I think about a man I always turn to for gracious words. Sometimes when I get discouraged, I pick out a book that he gives to me over Christmas or whatever, and I just read the words of affirmation. He had to choose. Because this man is a very busy man. Why should he take that time and write words of encouragement to me year after year after year? He had to choose. And this man, when he leads prayer meeting, takes leave to, 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 to prepare for the prayer meeting as, as a lay person with a high-paying job so I can calculate how much the prayer meeting costs to him. Did he count the cost? Maybe he did. And he thought it was worthwhile. Take half a day's leave, prepare for the prayer meeting, and lead the prayer meeting. He had to choose. I think of another man who, sort of, I think, he is born anti-establishment. You know, always like to give people a difficult time. But I have seen in recent years, he chose to suppress his own nature and to be submissive and to be kind. I think of another man also who may well be able to say that actually I was born with homosexual tendencies. But he made a choice. He said, no, it's not right. It's not even a weight, it's a sin. Therefore, I'm going against it. I'm going through this online Bible study. I'm going to submit myself to you and, and we're going to meet together to work through this. Take up the cross. That's what it means. Take up the cross, right? And every time you do a Bible study, you come across the Word of God, you go straight to the root of the matter, and there's a cross, there's a choice there. Count the cost. You think you can pay? You can't. You just got to come to Jesus. And He paid the price for you. He gives you the strength to overcome it. And you make deposits in, for, for all eternity. Can I help the musicians come and help us with a response song? Today, why don't we think about what weights we are carrying through life? Can we just leave it at the foot of the cross? If it is a sin, we leave it on the cross. It's nailed to the cross. Right, and then we're done with it. Okay. Of course, we still have to battle sin, but we can ask continually for the Lord Jesus to come and help us. And we hide behind His cloak of righteousness. But if it is a weight, then we just leave it at the foot of the cross. What are some areas that you need breakthroughs in your life? I want to share with you this song that uh, we use at the men's uh, weekend. It's called Breakthrough for Me. Ask the Lord to break into your life. Ask the Lord to help you to believe. Receive in faith from Him. Let's, let's rise together as we sing this.
before the Lord, ask Him to break in. Perhaps for some of us, there will be areas that are like hardened to the Lord. We don't really want God to come in and, and break through. Some deep set habit, even sin that we can't seem to break out of that every time we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, you feel this guilt. That what kind of a disciple are you? Call yourself a Christian. That is exactly what the evil one wants to do. Make you powerless. Render you useless. Full of guilt. When Jesus has already done it all on the cross, I paid for it. I paid for it. So just come to the foot of the cross. Offer up our lives again. Thank Jesus for cleansing us, for paying that full price. And live in Him. Walk with Him. some of us we have deep-seated bitterness unforgiveness even as we sang this song Lord break in I know that very often that it's buried so deep that we don't think it exists anymore time and again it raises its ugly head and again we feel defeated have the power to forgive. I don't have the power to reconcile. Exactly, that's what the devil wants to do. Leave you defeated. Leave you with this one dark stain that is not yet cleansed. And when Jesus has done it all, let's come to the foot of the cross. count the cost what cost can be so great than to carry around something totally useless something that poisons us Jesus said I've paid it paid in full and I welcome you into this life of righteousness come under the shadow of my wings and together we can soar on wings like eagles Father I pray for everyone here God that as we begin this season of roots and wings as we examine once again the fundamentals 
of our identity, of who God is, of what our priorities in life should be, what our foundations should be. As we ask ourselves these questions, what is really ailing me? What is a radical reorientation that I must make in my mind? What must I surrender to God? What must I lay aside as weight? What must I nail to the cross as sin? God, that you will transform us. That more than information, there will be inner transformation. That we will be drawn so much closer to you. We would appreciate in fresh and new ways daily the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives transforms us from one degree of glory to another, from faith to faith. So thank you, God. We look forward to meeting you daily over the next few weeks. We look forward even to a crisis of belief every day. I believe this and therefore my life will change this way I take you at your word I surrender my life to you thank you thank you and we pray in Jesus name Amen. Please be seated. I have just one other thing to do and that is